You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And if you're new with us, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. We really believe that when we gather as God's people around his word, that God meets with us and even meets with us with timely grace for whatever it is that we're walking through in that moment. So welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, We have been in a new series in the book of Titus called A Healthy Church in a Hectic World. And each week we've looked at Paul's instructions to Titus as he's helping Titus uh, put the church in Crete in order. This is a church that was planted, and now Titus is strengthening that church, and Paul is giving him instructions to teach and instruct that church in. And over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at what is called the household code, the the way that that lives should be ordered in the everyday uh, situation that people live in. And we've looked at the importance of humble and qualified leaders in the church. We've seen over the past two weeks the importance of men and women embracing their unique callings and challenges in the church. And in all of this, the motivator has been to adorn the gospel of grace. That is to order our behavior, the way we relate to one another, in a way that is consistent with the gospel we profess. Now this morning, we're going to look at Titus 2, verses 9 through 10, and, and we're gonna, where we're going to land is looking at work in a hectic world. But as we read this text, as, as Katie read this text for us, you probably recognize that it's originally addressing uh, and written to bond servants, or some translations say slaves. And before we can jump in to apply this text to us today, we're going to need some context to understand what, who is Paul talking to here. We're also going to need to address the baggage and the pain that comes along with with Pauline scriptures like this, that that many have uh, seen weaponized against them, not used for their good. And finally, we will see today that this text, if we can rescue it uh, from, from some of its recent interpreters, that Paul has instructions that are encouraging to us today. That no matter what circumstances we find ourselves working or laboring in, God's call is for us to work energized by the Holy Spirit unto King Jesus for the glory of God the Father. So let's pray, and then we'll look at verses 9 and 10. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful today to be able to be reminded that you love us, you care for us, you ask us to come to you with our needs You give us wisdom and instruction for how we are to live. And Lord, we know that this life that we live, this Christian life, is not something you just tell us to do, but it's something you pour out your spirit in us and empower us to do. So today, as we look at a difficult topic on many angles, this topic of work and labor, would you pour out into us your energy so that we can work as unto you, that we can work in a way that adorns the gospel of grace. Lord, help us as we work through this text. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Lead us to repentance and conviction where we need. Encourage us where we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
I want to read again verses 9 and 10 so you can turn in your Bible or it'll be on the screen and then we'll talk about this text a bit. Verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of, of God our Savior. Now, I want us to remember as we begin looking at this text that this is a part of what is known as the household code. Paul has given instructions to believers in the social situation that they found themselves in. And yet, when he gives instructions in a particular social context, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything about that social uh, construct he's approving of. For example, um, the household unit in ancient Near East culture that Paul is writing to could have been 20, 30 people living all in one household. Could have included cousins and aunts and uncles and, and a large grouping of people known as a household. It could have varied in sizes, certainly, but it was different than maybe what we imagine when we think of a household being of four to eight people, kind of the nuclear family. Now, this doesn't mean that, that one or the other is wrong or better. We could have that debate. But what it means is Paul's concern is not primarily with, with giving us a social construct to live in. He's addressing people where they were, helping them see, how do I faithfully follow Jesus where God has placed me in my time and in my place? And this is important as we talk about uh, this uh, instruction to bond servants, or some translations say slaves, the Greek word is doulos, um, it's important because we, we, Paul's not condoning that social institution, he's rather giving instructions for those who find themselves in that place. You see, I bring this up because there's a bit of cultural distance between Paul's first century audience and ourselves. Right? If you haven't noticed, some of you, if you want to be true to it, maybe you need to expand your house and have your aunts and uncles and in-laws all that living it. Some of you are like, no, thank you. I like our context a little better. I don't know. All right? But it's different. There's difference. We don't have those large households, and we don't have the institution of bond servants or slavery as it existed in this culture. And I think there's actually a lot of good in that. Uh, we don't have time to jump into all that today, but there's, there's good there. Um, and so for us, we need to start by understanding what is Paul, who is Paul talking to? Who are, what, are, what was a bondservant? I want to give you a couple of, of definitions from a couple commentaries. One commentary explains it like this. It says, the socioeconomic institution of slavery was extremely widespread in both Greek and Roman society. Slavery was protected by civil law. The military conquests of Rome produced many prisoners of war who were subsequently sold as slaves. Unlike the American institution of slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries, slavery in the ancient world was not racially restricted. The condition of a slave's life may have ranged from holding a position of trust and relative comfort to being treated in the most cruel and heinous of manner. At any rate, slaves were the material possessions of their masters who exercised complete authority over their activities and destinies. One other commentator says this. He says, slavery meant the complete loss of rights. It terminated marriage, family ties, business partnerships, and any public or private offices previously held. Slaves could neither act as debtors or creditors, nor was their testimony admissible in court unless it was gained through torture. 
They could be sold or loaned out at the will of the owner. To sum it up, a bondservant was a person who for a variety of reasons had become the property of another person. And the experience of a bondservant was often dependent upon the, the way that their master treated them. It's, it's suffice to say that Paul is writing to a group of people that potentially lived in excruciatingly painful and difficult circumstances. That's the context in which he's giving these instructions. Now, the second thing I, second thing I want us to acknowledge before we move towards applying this in our own context is that we need to recognize our own country's ugly history with interpreting texts like this. In our not-so-distant past, um, some have used passages like this, mostly from Paul, to justify the social institution of enslaving African Americans. Paul's words have been used by wicked men, even preachers, to proclaim that God's to, to slaves that God's design for you is this, and it's his heart that you're here. In his book, Reading While Black, Dr. Esau Macaulay recounts a story of a man named Howard Thurman. Thurman would visit his grandmother, a a once slave. He would visit her and he would read her the scriptures. He would go and read to her. And when they would come to certain Pauline passages, she would always ask him to skip those passages. She would say, "Let's, let's move on to something else. Howard Thurman recounts that eventually he recalls asking his grandmother, he got up the courage to ask her, why do you have me skip these certain passages? And and this is her response. During the days of slavery, she said, the master's minister would occasionally hold services for his slaves. Old man McGee was so mean that he would not let a black minister preach to his slaves. Always the white minister, as his text used something from Paul, At least three or four times a year, he used a text, quote, slaves be obedient to them that are your masters as unto Christ. Then he would go on to show how it was God's will that we were slaves and how if we were good and happy slaves, God would bless us. Family, tragically, wicked and evil men have twisted and weaponized God's word to oppress and control fellow image bearers, to accomplish not the adoration of the gospel, but their own wicked, selfish agenda. And it's wreaked havoc and pain on many. We can understand Howard Thurman's grandmother's response to why she would want to avoid these Pauline passages. You see, this is the kind of disconnect. This is the kind of unsound doctrine that Paul is actually writing us to refute. The kind of people who on the one hand would proclaim salvation in Christ and that he is Lord and on the other would use their power and authority to to deny him and live contrary to the gospel of grace. This is the kind of disconnect between belief and behavior that that courageous gospel-formed leadership must stand up and call Wicked, You see, family, it's bad enough that any human being would use their power to own and enslave another image bearer of God. It's, it's bad enough for that. It's a whole new level of evil when you use God's name to baptize it. And there are passages like this and others in Scripture that we need to recognize and own have been hijacked from Paul and used as weapons against fellow human beings. 
all in the name of God. And, and here's, here's the tension we feel. It's tempting to want to just say, you know what? Let's let them have it. Let's throw it all out. Let's forget these passages. There's, we just need to, to kind of cut that out of our Bible. To let Paul's voice just become hijacked. But here is what I want to lead us towards this morning. I want to encourage us not to let misuse turn to no use. You like that little turn of phrase there? Misuse turn to no use. Right? We can't let an abused teaching uh, make us forsake the teaching altogether. We must recapture and rescue Paul's words with good, faithful, biblical interpretation. One, one interesting side note that I found as I was studying around this text and the tension in this particular context that, that many uh, African-American brothers and sisters, when they heard these words preached in this way, they stood up and said, no, that's not right. That's not what, that's not what that text means. In fact, they led the way for accurate biblical interpretation saying that that's not our God. That's not the God that rescued Israel out of slavery in Babylon. They called it out and they opened up the way for us to have a better understanding of Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul was not a man in power writing to keep other people under control. This was not something he was writing to feed his selfish agenda, his own motives. Paul was a man who oftentimes referred to himself with this word, doulos, bondservant, a bondservant to Christ who was writing from most likely from his own jail cell, literally in chains. Not writing to people to try to pass his agenda, but trying to tell his brothers and sisters who were living in some of the most excruciating circumstances that no matter what your circumstances hold, your work can have worth and dignity to God. That ultimately your master and ultimately your labor is not for the good or the bad boss. It's for King Jesus. Paul is writing not for his own ambition, but for the sake of gospel adoration. Now, we can't discuss, there's a lot more we could say on this topic and probably a lot more we need to discuss, but, but I hope that you see as we kind of look at the context and, and address a little bit of the tension here that, that, that there is a way that we can begin to turn our attention to how we understand this text coming from Paul, not from those who would hijack his words. And so let's take a look at what Paul actually says in his instructions. We could summarize these two verses in three main instructions he gives. He says, one, he tells them to be, uh, the bondservants to be submissive to their masters. This meant an orientation of the heart that was voluntarily complying with whatever those in charge would tell them to do. Now, there's an understanding. We could look at the book of Acts. In fact, Acts chapter 5.29, when the apostles are, are talking about obedience, they say that we're going to obey until the point where you call me to disobey Jesus, right? So there's limitations on obedience that we could apply that to the wives' passage last week. But as far as the everyday ordinary task, when a, essentially what he's saying is when a task is given, when there's an ask to do this work or that work, do it with a willing, complying heart. Be submissive to those who are in authority over you. Second thing he says is, is to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. This is kind of a qualifier to the first encouragement. It adds on to the quality of submission. It's, uh, it's, inst 
it's doing it, but doing it with a heart that's not resisting, right? You've all, you've all given instruction to your children. <laughs> Maybe kids need to hear this one today. And, and you've got, there's willing obedience to what mom or dad says, and then there's begrudging, like arguing, you know, 30 minutes later. And, and he's saying, no, do it as pleasing. Do it not as, as, a, as, as an argu- argumentation. Um, and, and there's wisdom here. There's, there's not only God-glorifying uh, encouragement here, but there's wisdom, just practical wisdom. As you think of some of these people would have been, uh, some of these bondservants, their life was really dependent on the whims of their master. And so Paul's saying, earn their favor. Earn their favor. Do good work for them. As far as you can, obey them. Finally, he tells them uh, in the third instruction, not pilfering, uh, which, which essentially pilfering is stealing or theft, and this is important because some of the bond servants would have been given, uh, you know, jurisdiction, or that's not the right word, but they would have been given uh, stewardship over perhaps the entire household of, of their, their owner. And, he, and there would have been ample opportunity to, to take a little here, maybe a little, you know, a few goats, or, you know, that would have been their, their context, or, or a, few, a little bit of time here or there. Essentially what Paul is saying is work with integrity. Work hard. Be the kind of uh, the worker that, that your employer is glad to have you. I think of the biblical example of Joseph in this. You know, he's kind of the, the picture model of, of what I see Paul talking about here. Joseph, if you don't know the story, was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? This was not how God intended brothers to relate to each other, but it happened. And Joseph goes into slavery and he stays faithful to God and he works hard for years, and, and, and he's even accused falsely of things. And yet Joseph continues to be faithful to Yahweh, to continue to worship God. And over time, long story short, is God raises up Joseph to be the very instrument by which he would save the people of Israel from famine. Now, what I don't want to communicate by that story is that if you work hard and hang in there, it always turns out like Joseph's story. That's not what I'm saying. But I will say that that Joseph was never promised that it was going to work out that way. I guarantee you in those years that he was in the situation he was, he didn't know for sure how it was going to turn out. Some of us will labor and toil and work, maybe in a dead-end job or something you don't love for years, and you may never get that promotion. It's not promised. But what Paul is telling us, and what he says, we're going to look at in Colossians, is that in the next life, there is absolutely a promise of inheritance. There's absolutely a promise that all that you did, that nobody saw, all the mistreatment, all the harsh things, that, that extra load that you did when, the, when no one was looking, Jesus sees it. And in the next life, it's going to be beautiful and recognized to him. Your work matters. No matter the circumstances, it matters. So what is Paul saying with these instructions to us? I think we could sum, begin to sum it up by saying God cares about our manner and motivation for work. He cares about it. It's an important part of following Jesus. Look at what Paul says in Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. He, he's speaking in the same way, but he says it a little differently. He says, whatever you do, he had just addressed bondservants, by the way, in the previous verses in 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ. 
Paul is telling us, and he's giving us instructions, he's giving these bondservants instructions to do their labor, do their work in a manner that's faithful to who they are in Christ. I would say that the, what he's calling them to cannot be done about, apart from the energizing presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, when we're reading Titus, we're not getting all of Paul's notes. We're just getting kind of his, his, his high points to emphasize. But if we look at the whole body of Paul's work, he, he, he talks about that, that we, the, we work through the energy of the Holy Spirit, right? Hey, that came on the first. It did it again. It's consistent. came on again. Um, sorry. Uh, I'm, I get easily distracted. But, but we cannot do this apart from the energizing presence of God's Spirit, you cannot work um, in, in, in the worst or medium or best of circumstances apart from the energizing presence of God's Spirit that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, that helps us live out and be people of integrity and, 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 and wholeheartedness. You see, this manner of working in which uh, those you're working for it leads to those who you're working for being honored, willingly obeyed, and honestly dealt with. Now, I want to recognize this is not our human default, right? We talked about we can only do that by the Spirit's power, but we also know, if many of you have worked, work is a big struggle. Um, how many of you struggle with, with, with working in this way, right? How many of you tend to fall back to your flesh and, and work kind of in ways that aren't what Paul's talking about? Anybody? All right, if you didn't raise your hand, I'm calling you a liar. Um, uh, we, we struggle with this, don't we? Um, I, rem- I remember struggling with this. I still struggle with this, but I, I remember specifically struggling with my work and, and doing it in this way, working hard, working honest, working with a joyful, submissive attitude. Uh, when I was a teacher, I was a teacher before we planted this church back in Lubbock, and I taught for five years, and there were a lot of things about teaching that drove me crazy. There were a lot of uh, trainings that I had to sit through where I was doing little manipulatives and coloring where I just thought, this is it, I'm out. You know, like, this is the last straw. <laughs> um, if, you, if you like that stuff, I apologize. But if you're in education, you probably know a little bit of what I'm talking about. And all, I could, I could kind of ca- uh, summarize my experience and my frustration in this particular work with one, with one incident. There was a morning where... Um, I was in my office just getting ready for the day. I was a, what was called a technologist and a teacher, and so I was kind of the computer support on campus as well as taught some classes. And I was kind of in my office just kind of looking at my to-do list, and my principal comes in kind of half panicked, and she's like, uh, hey, we're doing a presentation today uh, in, in like 10 minutes, and I need, uh, I need a PowerPoint. And, oh, there's a video I think the presenter has, and could you get that ready? And, 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 just, and just all these things on me. And, and I, if you know me, I'm not a last-minute person. I'm a planner. I, I like to pre- you know, prepare and be ready. And, and I am just internally fuming. I'm like, you idiot. Like, you, you could have told me this yesterday, right? And I'm, and I'm, go, and I'm rushing around campus, and I'm, ir- and I'm irritated with her, and I'm setting it up. And I, I know how to put a good smile on. I'm a you know, pastor, but no. Um, but I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm setting it up, and I've got it all, I get it all working. I think there was a glitch, and they're like looking at me, and I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't say anything. But, and I just remember that whole day just being like boiling over. And all my frustrations with this work like started coming out. I'm complaining. I don't want to do it. You know, next time she tells my, that particular principal, who I do love and, and care for, we, but this was, you know, you know those moments. Um, 
uh, late, you know, I'm like, next time she tells me to do something, I'm going to just not do, you know. Like all the things that Paul's saying, I'm, I'm feeling my flesh rebel against and I don't want to do. And I'm justifying it, saying this is, you know, education is a silly environment. Nobody has any common sense. You know, there's a little bit of truth there. But um, nevertheless, what did God call me to in that time, right? What, did he, what does he call us to? Here, here's the thing for us. If Paul can write these instructions to bondservants, who potentially worked in some of the hardest and most difficult circumstances we could imagine, don't you think he... Uh, could call us in our jobs today, which we live, thank the Lord, in a, not a perfect, but a better, more equitable, free place to work. I'm not saying there's no problems, but, but we, work, we, we don't have bond servants anymore, praise God. But if he can call and instruct them to work unto the Lord, couldn't he do that to me? Couldn't he do that to you in your job on those days when you feel like it's a dead end, when you feel like it's just too boring? And I don't think this is just talking about, you know, don't just think your formal jobs. It's all the task and all the labor that's in front of us. Sometimes it's, it's the dishes. It's the towels that need folded. It's the beds that need made. You know, it's, it's all, the, all the little toil of life. What Paul is saying is that all of it can be done, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. And this is important. This is important for us to realize. It's an issue not of, of our ambition or, uh, or, or an opportunity for us to, to, to just kind of you know, get a paycheck, but work is an opportunity to adorn the gospel of grace. You see, Paul wants us to know that there's a way of working that is not bound to externals and circumstances. But if we're going to work in this way, we're going to have to discover who our true master is, who our true aim is, who we're truly seeking to please. I think of all those moments when I, you know, when I was complaining and bickering. Ultimately, I was complaining and bickering to God. And I think of all the other moments, perhaps, whenever I'm walking in the Spirit and I'm doing something, I can be doing the most quiet, uh, unapplauded task to the absolute glory of God. Our work matters. Jesus sees it. Our work is motivated by a love for King Jesus because we know ultimately nothing done by faith, nothing done empowered by the Spirit for him is in vain. There's no diaper changed, no project management, no, uh, you know, no lawn mowed, no counseling session gone to, no conversation, no hard conversation, nothing done by faith unto Jesus will go in vain. And in this life, we might not see the reward, we might not see it come to fruition, but you have a promise that in the life to come, it's going to be beautiful. And Jesus saw it, and he appreciates it, he's thankful for it. I just want to encourage some of you today. Some of you are working in quiet places. Some of you are doing work that our culture does not value. Nobody celebrates you. But you, no matter the circumstance, can work in a way that has dignity and worth because Jesus sees it. And Jesus is honored by it when you do it by faith. When you do it in this way, a spirit-filled way, filled with the energy that he supplies. Now, thankfully... I didn't spend my entire teaching career 
frustrated and angry. I hope you don't get that picture and discontent. There were moments, just like even in ministry, I'll confess, there's moments. Um, But at some point in that five years of teaching, I began to hear at the church we were at about how our work is an opportunity for adoration. I heard some of Paul's teaching here. And I began to approach my days differently at uh, what was Reese Education Center. It was a high school. And, uh, and, and I would pray on my way to work. And I would ask God, fill me with your spirit. I know that in my flesh, when I enter those doors and the chaos and the hecticness hits, I'm going to be prone to complain. I'm going to be prone to resist. I'm going to be prone to be dishonest and steal time and justify it because, oh, it's a bad ball. You know, I'm going to be prone to all those things. But Lord, fill me with your spirit, with your energy. And what I began to see, not perfectly, but on days whenever I came in, empowered by the Spirit, is, is that, that student that maybe was a nagging annoyance, I began to see as an object of God's love and mercy. I began to see as someone, uh, a fellow image bearer in need to know that there is a God and He cares for them. I began to see the, the teachers in the, in the teaching lounge not as like, you know, gossip havens to be avoided and where I would just kind of go off to my office and I can be a very avoidant person, but as fellow image bearers who needed to be listened to and given good counsel. And I even realized that as I would talk with people, I had ministry opportunities right there in the workplace. I didn't have to go preach in a pulpit. Begin to see that teacher that kept calling me to her room because... Her computer was unplugged and it wouldn't work. Um, I began to see that she was, uh, or he, I'm not, I'm not, you know, both genders have that issue at times, but um, began to see they, they were really in need of someone who cared for them, someone who could use their skills to help them, but also maybe listen to some of their problems. I began to realize that as I'm doing my work and doing my job, energized by the Holy Spirit, that I could adore Christ, that I could worship him. It wasn't, by the way, that wasn't my dream job. I never wanted to be a teacher. Um, but, but God helped me to redeem that and see it's an opportunity for gospel adoration. Now listen to me, family. There's a variety of situations that you're in working. Uh, every one of us has some kind of task in front of us. Students, you've got school, you've got lessons, you've got chores, uh, college students, you know, you've got internships and, and jobs, and, and we could go all across the gambit. We've got lawns to mow, we've got leaks to fix, we've got diapers to change, we've got counseling to do, final exams, launching a website, you know, all across the gambit of tasks to do in front of us. And I want to encourage you, let's stop uh, just doing them in our own power, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us receive Paul's words and help us to become servants like Christ, like Paul, and to do our work with the energy that God supplies, as Paul says in, in, first, in uh, Colossians 1.29. Because sometimes the job change is needed, and Lord willing, if God opens the door, there's certainly something fine with stepping into that new job. Maybe it aligns a little bit more with your passions, but sometimes you, you're just stuck. Sometimes we we just have to make ends meet. Sometimes we just got to change the diaper at 3 a.m. There's going to be work that we feel just stuck in and we don't like and it's not rewarding. But the secret is that if you do it for Christ in faith, it can totally transform not our circumstances, but our heart in the midst of those things. And some of the most powerful gospel proclamations will be when we embrace that 
in circumstances that say we shouldn't. You better believe that these bondservants who were on fire for Jesus were turning heads in the first century. You better believe when they followed these instructions empowered by the Holy Spirit that people were taking notice. We have the opportunity to see our work, to see our labor, to see whatever lies ahead of us this week as an opportunity to worship, an opportunity to adorn the gospel of grace. So I want to close in praying for us um, and asking us, giving you a question just to consider is, are you working from the energy of the spirit or are you running on the fumes of the flesh? Have you been working? Typically, the fumes of the flesh, you're going to see the thorns of the flesh coming out. When we're working in the Spirit, we see the fruit of the Spirit coming out. I just want you to, just want you to consider that. And then I just, I'm, going to, so I'm going to give us about 30 seconds just to sit in that. And then I just want to pray that God would pour out His Holy Spirit upon you. That whatever you're facing, not 10 years from now, but tomorrow, today when you go home, on Tuesday, whatever's stressing you, whatever appointment, whatever task is just pulling at your heart, that you would know that God is in that, he's with that, and if nobody sees it, he sees it. So let's consider, and then I'll pray over us. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. Father, we ask this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit into our hearts. God, there's parents that are running on empty. There's people that are working in work environments that are just brutal. There's teachers that are exhausted from a hard year. There's nurses that are exhausted from a hard year. Lord, we need your spirit to fill us. We cannot work in our own power and glorify you. But we believe that you care for us and you desire to pour out your spirit into our hearts. That you would make Jesus, King Jesus, real to us when we lose sight of him, when we lose sight of that we're working for him and we're working for eternal things, that, that you would make Jesus real to us. So Lord, for those who are feeling discouraged, who are feeling down, would you, would you just show them your affection for them? Would you show them your seeing them in, in, when nobody else does? God, where we have strayed and become bitter and, and had bad attitudes and, and we've stolen time on the clock and we've justified it by a, a bad boss or a bad environment, would you lead us to repent of that and to see our work as a gospel issue? Would you help us? Help us be people who are filled with your spirit, that there's no task below us, that there's nothing that we will not do for your glory that honors you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us, help tired and weary people do the work you've set and called them to do this week. For the power of the Spirit unto the Son, for the glory of God the Father.
Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.